The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. There is no holding me back. This is a new episode of the Shaken and Stirred show. I'm Nigel Barker in New York, and I'm with my co-host, Tom Astor, in Oxford, who is relentless today. He's clearly on fire. Um, he's been messing with his filters. So if you're watching this on YouTube, and we do have a YouTube channel, people, you can actually watch this. You don't have to just listen to us. Shaken and Stirred, every episode, you can actually view Tom Astor, the snapper, in all his beauty, in all his sepia beauty that he's now used this weird filter that makes him look like he's from a vintage film from the 1950s when they first introduced Technicolor. Um, Tom, how are you, mate? Very Technicolor, feeling very 50s and a bit vintage. You are. You are looking a little vintage, a little crackly around the edges. But hey, you know, what are you drinking? What am I drinking, you ask? I ask. This evening. fabulous. Look, it's got flowers and everything in it. I think you can eat them. Maybe not the orange peel. Um, I am drinking elderflower sour. Someone rolls off the tongue. Very nice. Made by, made by my, um, what are they called? It's not barista. What's the opposite? What's the other? What are they called? Mixologist. I think it's oh, Mixologist, who's in the room by the, by all accounts too. Tom has someone to help prompt him along this these days. You know, he... No, I don't have the word, but all she's doing is posing, doing a pose. So it's fine. Anyway, an elderflower sour. So homemade elderflower cordial with a large splash of vodka, some lemon juice, and an egg white. Shaken, not stirred. And this is a dry shake? So <sighs> I like, literally just suddenly a dry shake. It's like, what is it? What the fuck? What's dry like, shake is when you put when you put it with no ice and you just use the and you shake up the egg white in advance okay. and then you add the ice. It's definitely got ice in it, yeah. Absolutely. Ice, ice, a wet shake. Good old wet shake, people. That's how he likes to do his elderflower sour. You've been enjoying the odd sour recently. I've noticed this is not your first, as you've done, you've been on a, a sour tip. Um, I leave, and I leave it I'm not talking about your personality either. Yeah, no, I'm not sour. I'm, I'm a sweet. I'm a sweet thing, really. Feeling anyway. What did you manage to conjure up? No doubt. I, I decided to conjure up something incredibly boring for once. Unlike uh, you, who decided to go for something rather extraordinary, I am simply doing a tequila reposado mm. on the rock with a slice of lime, and we will get to why when we meet our guest today, because there's a lot of why in, in what I'm drinking. But in the meantime, cheers, Tom. Chin, chin, man. Chin, chin. Yeah. Happy Boom. days. Happy days. Mm. Quite delicious. On to... No, that yours is not as good as mine. That's delicious. Sorry. If mine is not as good as yours, well, hey, you know, mine is simple. Mine gets to the point. Sometimes you just want not a cocktail but just straight liquor and it's one of my go-to's tequila reposado on the rocks i haven't mentioned which tequila but that's coming folks before we get to our guest today we do have booze news people booze news now in the world of booze there's always something going on but this is a little different in as much as guinness one of my favorite drinks by the way and and that my local pub in New York City, um, they happen to have a drink named after me called the Barker Bomb. 
which is, in fact, a pint of Guinness, which goes alongside a shot of tequila. Um, and you buy the two together. Now, in a traditional bomb, you drop into the actual Guinness. But at the, at the bar, we actually simply just serve them side by side. And really, the beer is a chaser to the tequila. And I like my tequila. We've talked about that already. But Guinness, a staple of Irish culture, is moving to Chicago, people. Well, what I mean by moving is they are opening a 15,000 square foot uh, pub in Fulton Market in Chicago. This is the very first on the ground Guinness pub in the United States. And um, they've picked Chicago to do it in. And they're gonna be serving Irish pub food and they're gonna be brewing beer on site in Chicago as well, which is a first, which is pretty unusual, it's pretty cool. Um, and they're gonna be also selling, I guess they have a few other things, Indian pale ale, blonde ale, a milk stout. Um, so very, very cool. And the actual, I guess the head of, of um, Guinness in the US, he said, the city was a natural choice to bring our first neighborhood hub to life. We aim to celebrate Chicago and make a positive impact on the local community from our doors, from the day our doors open. Um, so there you or go, people. by getting them completely wasted. Can I mean, get them completely wasted. This opens March 2023 on St. Patrick's Day, and there will be celebrations and game days at Wrigley Field. So there you go. Something to look forward to, you Chicagoans. I think I might come along and sort of join in the festivities. Well, as you know, Nigel, my maternal grandmother's a Guinness, so I have it in my blood. Um, and there's one issue with Guinness that I would like to point out, that it's all well and good brewing this stuff in America. It's all well and good than brewing it in England. It's all well and good brewing it wherever. But a pint of Guinness never, ever tastes as good as it does in Ireland. And it, it's been said, it's not traveling so much, it's the water. The terror. And I can attest to that. I've never, I mean, I love Guinness, absolutely love Guinness. And it, you just, there, there is nowhere else in the world where it tastes as good as in, as in Ireland itself. And, it, and it, they say it's the water, you know, that, that um, but I don't, and I've got to believe it actually. But anyway, chin, no, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think I've had Guinness in Ireland and it does taste uniquely different. Um, we've talked about this a little bit with, you know, the, as you, with the terroir, which is the soil that with, with wine, but they've talked about how people can taste the difference even with whiskies and scotches and what have you, depending on the, the, the water as well as the soil of where, you know, all, all of this is brought up. So it's very interesting. I would imagine the water plays a large part. Um, and there's something very nostalgic, if nothing else, having a Guinness in Ireland, but, um, on to our wonderful list today. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. I've had first-hand experience with therapy, and I like to treat it like a safe place to explore my thoughts, feelings, and concerns. You know, we see the doctor and go to the gym to take care of our bodies, to prevent injury and disease. We do chores regularly to avoid a messy house. Going to therapy is just like that. It's routine maintenance for your mental and emotional wellness to prevent bigger issues down the road. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, 
and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not your mind? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Shaken and Stirred listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash stirred. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash S-T-I-R-R-E-D. All right, everybody, our guest this week is one of the most recognizable names in fashion, responsible for creating things like the iconic Calvin Klein boxer brief to laceless sneakers for Converse, and he has his own iconic brand, which I happen to be wearing today. So if you're gonna be watching us on YouTube, you can see that I have one of his jackets on and a shirt, believe it or not. Um, look, this guy also has a delicious tequila that he created with Nick Jonas called Villa One. That's what I'm drinking. That was the surprise, people. With us today, please welcome John Varvatos. John, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing today? Very well. Very, very good indeed. Tom is not drinking tequila. Tom is drinking some sort of um, sour, elderflower sour that he has, has sort of whipped oh, up for himself with flowers like floating around. It sounds disgusting, Tom. <laughs> well, it's not. It's not although although it's, it's late in the UK, so you, you should be drinking tequila. You know something? <laughs> I think we're going to have to agree on something here because it's, it's got my homemade elderflower cordial in, which is obviously delicious because I made it vodka in it which you can't go wrong a bit of egg white and i absolutely wow. love tequila so we are going to just like have to load each other's drinks on this one nigel on the other hand i've never heard anyone talk about tequila so much as him and i've never heard anyone get so excited about talking talking to you as he is today well, my, I, I, my I thing i i'll try your elderberry uh whatever your concoction is but i think you just haven't had good tequila before that's why you loathe it Hello, awesome. right? That's true. Awesome. I've been talking about this with him forever. It's awesome. like, it has been, John, this has been a, over a year in the in the making. We have been talking about, I drink all kinds of tequila. I make all kinds of drinks with tequila. And every time he looks at me and, on, and he start, says on the show, that's filthy, that's disgusting. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> well, you're missing all, out. Missing let's, out. Let's just talk about filthy. So tequila happens <laughs> to be the healthiest of all spirits. There's no sugar in it. When I talk to my doctor and my, uh, uh, when I talk to my trainer and he says, well, what did you drink last night? And I tell him tequila, he goes, if you're gonna drink anything, I guess it's okay to drink tequila. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> it is indeed sort of the sort of skinny version of, of, of alcohol. You know, it's sort of, no wonder it's exactly. such a with the fashion crowd. But what are you drinking right now? John, what, do you, what have you got in front of you, sir? I'm drinking a spicy mango Rita. Oh, wow. And, and basically, I've, uh, I started, I guess, during COVID, uh, uh, trying to be a little bit more of a mixologist and playing around with things. And uh, I came up with this last summer, and it became a, um, a real favorite with uh, my wife and I and all of our friends. So I, I can't kind of get away from it right now. And it's I just I'm, I'm at my office still still working, but it was nice to take this break because it's five o'clock here and uh, mix up one of these babies. So how did you get into the, the, the mango aspect of it? Because big this summer was the Paloma. 
Everywhere yeah. I went, Paloma, Paloma, Paloma. And I'm like, okay, everyone's into the grapefruit. And, you know, every year there's some drink, you know, that, that hits it big. Aperol Spritz was the sort of on everyone's, you know, mouth for a while. But but the Paloma was big this year. But you you went down the spicy mango margarita, which, by the way, having mango, fresh, you know, mango on hand in your office is pretty impressive. That's okay. all I want to say. Well, you know, there's... Um... You can buy mango juice for sure to use in it. Um, I actually have a mortar and pestle here where I kind of beat up that mango and got as much juice through a strainer as I could on it. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what it looks like. So um, it looks basically I, like orange juice, people, at the moment. He doesn't have a very, you know, the fact that he's a designer, he has not gone for the designer glass. He has a very thin looking glass that looks like a, it actually probably could have orange juice in it. Well, because but, I'm at my office, I didn't have all the correct barware, but at least I had the correct ingredients. You had a pestle and mortar, <laughs> for God's sakes. Who has yeah. a pestle and mortar? I brought in that in with glass. me today. I brought that in with me today, not remembering the glass. But so this has a um, couple of ounces of uh, fresh squeezed mango. And I actually went for about three ounces of Villa One. So you can do one ounce of fresh squeezed mango for one and a half ounces of Villa One Reposado. Most people, when they do the margaritas, they use silver. I love this with the Reposado. And then about a half of an ounce of fresh squeezed orange, I'm sorry, lime juice, and a sprinkle of habanero powder. And that's the kind of thing that you have to kind of test out to see what your liking is for habanero. I've kind of grown over time to sprinkle a little bit more and a little bit more. So today I put about three to four shakes in it. Usually when I started, it was like one good shake. And I put it in uh, over ice, shake it vigorously, and uh, it makes something very special. It's tough to tell here, and I'm looking it up to the screen, but- um, no, Absolutely delicious. Cool. Sounds fantastic. Yeah. I, I've done something sort of similar with a, not with a habanero, with a, with, but actually getting, um, getting the sort of chilies, you know, and, and actually making my own simple syrup and infusing them with the chili. And then therefore it goes into the drink that way. But this is, I guess, a, a more deliberate, you don't have to make the fuss with the simple syrup and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, we also, we also take um, jalapenos mm -hmm. and put them in like a mason's jar with the tequila, let them stay for the better part of a week. Uh, cut those up and that's all you really need too. So that's another way you can be with a jalapeno as well. So look, John, everyone knows your name, John Varvados. You're synonymous with dressing stars, celebrities. You're, you know, I'm wearing your clothes right now. You actually, you, you probably, you probably yeah, yeah. don't even know this, but your team and your and, and your label dressed me on my show the face with naomi campbell for two years so for two years all i wore no, on television no, was no. john Carvatos. <laughs> so i happen to have quite a lot of your clothes in my wardrobe so that's another reason why i was quite excited because you made me look good for many years next to a supermodel like naomi campbell for goodness sakes i love that and i appreciate the support there too yeah, well, likewise, I, I think you you were supporting me rather than me supporting you. But anyway, you know, you you with so you know you dress celebrities. You're you're in that world of fashion and the celebrity world. You decide to do a tequila. Now it's it's sort of although a lot of people are sort of getting into the tequila and the sort of celebrity alcohol world. You know, fashion designers getting into it is a little bit different. You know, there's you have a different sensibility. 
you know, you're not necessarily the, the face, the name everyone knows, but the face people sort of know, but perhaps not as well as your partner, Nick Jonas, in this particular venture. Sure. But what was your decision to say, okay, my next thing is going to be tequila, not a fashion house, not some other thing you're going to do, but tequila? Well, I've been drinking tequila for 25, 27 years, something like that. And so it's been my go-to drink. Um, and I met Nick Jonas now about eight years ago at a dinner party. And we got to know each other over quite a few glasses of tequila that night. And a couple of things I found out about him is that he's... Um, a lightweight. <laughs> I know, Nick. He's a bloody lightweight. You didn't, can't have drunk that much tequila. I'm going to have him on here. His brother's been on the show, by the way. So. No. Kevin as well oh, back in the day so um, anyway yeah actually he can hold his own but he um, he's a type 1 diabetic and he when I asked him why he, he he told me that night that he loves tequila and he thought it was interesting that we both were so passionate about it and he told me that you know listen um, because I'm a diabetic I have to be really careful with sugar um, and tequila doesn't, it's, you know, it's agave. Um, it is the healthiest of the spirits out there. And that's also why a lot of young people drink it that take care of their bodies as well. And it also is the only upper out there mm -hmm. so they can stay out late as a spirit. But, uh, we, we had this conversation over a lot of things over creativity, music, fashion, family. The next day he called me. And or sent me a text and said, you know, I'm in the studio working on some music. I'd love for you to come by and listen to it. Um, I went by there and there was a bottle of tequila in the recording studio. And we continued that conversation that we started the night before for another four hours, let's say. And over time, over the next few months, we saw quite a bit of each other, either in New York and LA. And, um, you know, he started coming by my design studio uh, he lived quite near there in the city. His apartment was there. And uh, he, we started talking about potentially doing a fashion collaboration. That I can see. Just a capsule of some sort. And we started working on that. And while we were working on that, we were, of course, enjoying tequila, talking about the tequila market, um, why you have to spend $160 to really get what we thought was a great tequila. Why can't you do an ultra premium te tequila for less than half that price or a, a quarter of that price? And more tequila, Villa One. So this literally retails at like around 50 bucks a bottle, does it not? Yeah, we started under $50 for the silver and go up to about $60 for the Añejo, uh, the Reposado in the low 50s. Um, and we really, you know, for us, we wanted to, when we got into thinking about tequila, the main reason was, could we create something that was best in class? Everything we looked at what we've done in our, in our other careers was about trying to raise the bar and, and create things that were best in class. And so that's kind of how we got to the tequila conversation was, you know, could we create something that was best in class? And why couldn't we? Why couldn't we do something and also have it accessible? Uh, we ended up hooking up with the people from Stoli that Nick had had a previous relationship with. Um, and they had just bought a um, distillery in Alisco, Mexico. And so they loved our concept when we presented. What they loved was that we weren't presenting it as a um, celebrity spirit. We were 
presenting it as best in class with all the great creative details in terms of the, the design of the packaging, the storytelling, the branding, and the marketing. Um, and so we ended up going down to Alisco with them and visiting the distillery and spending a couple of days down there with an amazing guy by the name of Arturo Fuentes, who's the master distiller. And people in the tequila world really know Arturo. And I had no idea. I know who he is. Yeah, I had no idea how much until we had dinner the first night and we were in Jalisco having dinner in, in a small restaurant and all these people were coming by and calling him Godfather. And it, I was like, what is the Godfather thing about? And it's because he has created so many amazing tequilas over time. Some of the top tequilas in the world. And by and the way, we you, have to say, you have to say you like his tequila. Otherwise, you know, the, the, the Godfather <laughs> thing comes in even harder and you never actually... Actually, actually he has the personality that he wants to also raise the bar and do something special and please you. He really wants to do both at the same time. So... That's kind of how we got into it. And we, we began that journey down there with Arturo. Amazing, amazing. And what a, what a great story. But so, I mean, again, I've got, the, I've got three bottles in front of me. I've got your Anejo, I've got your Reposado, I've got your Silva or Blanco, as I like to call it. Um, you've called it Villa One. Where did the name come from? Where, why, why Villa One? Villa sounds, it sounds Italian. I mean, I don't understand. <laughs> well, it's also, it's also a Spanish word too. Uh, uh, and we hear a lot of it in Mexican, Mexico when they talk about their homes. But, um, and their home, their villas aren't always what we would consider a villa. But we were, when we went down to Jalisco, on our way down, we stopped at a at a, at a beautiful resort for one night. We got there at nine o'clock at night and it was gonna be a brainstorming session before we went to the distillery the next day. And we happened to be with our partners, our future partners with Stoli. And so we, we were drinking tequila, we were talking about names, we were talking about branding, and a lot of the things that were on our mind. And we threw out a lot of names. And one of the names that we kind of threw out in passing was the place that the, the villa that we were staying in, which was called Villa One. And the next morning we got up to leave very early, you know, sunrise type of thing. And we closed the little wooden gate outside our villa and there was a little plaque on it and it said Villa One. And Nick and I looked at each other and said, this could be it. And two things happened that, that over that 12 hour period, one, the name Villa One, because we thought it was about celebrating moments in time, special moments with families and friends. And a lot of times you do that at your home. And at maybe 2.30 in the morning, right before we were gonna to go to bed, Nick um, raised his glass to do a toast. And he said, to life as it should be. And that was the other thing that hit me over the head that night. I thought, wow, we need to trademark that. That's such a poignant statement. Little did I know we'd be living through the world that we just lived through for mm -hmm. the last year and a half or more now, where people just want to get back to life as it should be. So it's really even more so all of these things have kind of fallen into kind of a special place in our hearts, the name Villa One, um, the, 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 the hallmark kind of uh, to life as it should be, because they have special meanings about, when we think about celebrating 
those special moments with your family and friends, which are the most important thing, which is we also learned a lot during COVID about kind of really getting your arms around those special moments as well. So, you, you know, you, you mentioned the, the price point, which is an interesting thing because, you know, there's a, there's a, obviously the, the 1942s of this world and, and, uh, Casa Azul and Casamigos and various big brands out there that are competing in the space, but they are, you know, for 1942, you're talking about 165 bucks a bottle, you know, Casa Azul, you're talking probably about 135 bucks a bottle, Casamigos, the, the leader bottle, which is, you know, it's more, re, it's more closer to about what you're paying, what you're sort of charging, the sort of 65 bucks a bottle kind of yeah. range. No, and you talked about you know making it accessible. How do you make it accessible? What was the trick? Is it about getting buying enough of the quantity so that you can, or or having access to a, a larger distillery, or what, what is the? How do you do that? I mean, obviously, Stoli is a very big backer, and I've spoken to a lot of different people about tequila over the years, and that you know, oftentimes the issue is how how much they can make. You're you're with a, a you know supplier who can only really supply you with X amount of it, and so therefore your cost is going to be what it is. So to get it to this price. You know, it, it's it's not easy necessarily to do if it's going to be really premium. So I'm curious as to what was well, your the, yeah. The first thing we have is we have Arturo, so he really understands making tequila. He's a master, um, and he had a lot of thoughts on that. One of them was that we were going to use. He wanted to propose that we use agaves from both the highlands and the lowlands. Hmm because the highlands are quite sweet and the lowlands are a little earthier. And as far as we know, there's only one other tequila brand that does that. So starting with that premise to understand how you get to a taste profile that puts you in um, the ultra premium category at a reasonable price. The other thing is that we also own the distillery, Stoli owns the distillery. So that's, you're not, like a lot of those names that you mentioned, they use outside facilities to, to make tequila. And they definitely buy their agaves from other people, from plantations. Stoli was smart enough to also buy thousands of acres of agave plantations around the distillery. So you control the process from quality through the distilling process and all of the ingredients all the way through, there's an artesian well that flows underneath the distillery. So the water is fantastic and it's, it's filtered seven or eight times, maybe even nine, I can't remember. It was quite a few, it's at least, at least seven or eight times it's filtered. Um, so a lot of, you know, like, it's kind of like what makes a white t-shirt X price and what makes a white t-shirt another price when they're quite it's a, similar. It's a bloody good question, John. I think a lot of people in the world would like to know that. I mean, yeah, I, I, I would love to know. And sometimes it's really about attention to detail and how do you, sometimes it is quantities, as you said. Well, but sometimes it's, like, it's just having the name John Varvatos in the back of the shirt. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm going to pay extra for that. You're wearing a white dress shirt and there are white dress shirts that are quite expensive that are beautiful. There's white um, dress shirts that are kind of medium price points that are beautiful. A lot of it depends on all the development, the sourcing, what you make and the control of it and only making one product for yourself is really the thing that Villa One is. We only make tequila. We only make it in one facility. We have one master distiller in there. 
So, you know, I think it was building towards that. And, you know, when we created the product, we didn't think about, okay, what do we have to do to get to this price point? It was, Arturo, let's make the best pro product we can make, and then let's figure it out. It just happened to all fall into place, including all the packaging, you know, the bottles, all of that, because the bottle also looks, you know, quite expensive. It has a lot of great details on it. So we had to manage all of that through the process. And part of that's proper sourcing and development of that as well. I mean, I think you, you know, you sort of nailed it with the fact that you said this totally owns you know, the actual distillery. So what a lot of people don't realize, you know, and, and as John pointed out, that a lot of these big brands, and a lot of brands in general, in fact, most of the brands, you know, get their tequila from the same place, actually. And and it's, the, the, you know, certain sort of distilleries, if you like, will produce multiple tequilas for different people um, out of the same agave, at the same place, out of the same stills. And it's at different price points. You, they go in, they, they, they taste it, they create their flavor profile, and then that's made for them. And, and this is obviously, you know, I think people often think of, when they think of an alcohol, they assume it's Scotland, a whiskey is being made in this castle, in this region, in this lock, in this area, on this highland, as you would have with a wine in, in any one chateau, in any one region. But with tequila, it's a little different. Um, so the fact that you've got control of that is, is, a, is, a very, is an interesting reason for why you were able to keep the price point down. Now, as far as tasting it and coming up with the flavor, how involved were you and Nick in the actual sampling of and, and sort of other than Arturo, who's obviously a genius, what was your input? Well, we were quite involved. It started on our first trip down there. We start, you know, in advance, we kind of sent him some notes of some of the notes on the type of notes that we like in, in our tequila. And also to allow him the room to be able to spread his wings to create around that. And we, we it was interesting. Somewhere I have a picture of us. We went into his amazing tasting room in the distillery with the big windows opened up and overlooking the agave plantations. And the table was filled with flutes of, of uh, tequila in silver, reposado and agave, I mean, in uh, Añejo. And all and variations that he had prepared in advance. I'm gonna say there was probably 15 of each. Wow. Of each of each of each type. And so we started with that and kind of went towards our direction. It got a little hazy as we got towards number 13 to 15 after sipping all of those. At which point you're like, this is it. This was fantastic. I love this is my favorite. And you're like, no, actually, that's the worst one. But um... is, it, is it like is it like wine tasting? I mean, you you tasting and then spitting it out or are you actually drinking? No, it? no, we weren't spitting anything out. No, we weren't. spitting. <laughs> that really is okay so really but yeah i can see that could get quite dangerous you could just do that 15 tequila shots later and you're like yes i'll take well, it we, we maybe didn't go for a full shot each time but we definitely had multiple sips so we really understood it and um well in between we, shots john do you what do you do to clear the mouth and clear the palate are you coffee sm sniffing or what, what's happening here we we just drank water we just drank water. We didn't really clear the palate any other way. This is what happens uh, when you get a musician and a fashion designer. <laughs> bloody well, just they getting pissed and drinking it and loving it. This is what yeah, I love it. It's a great story behind tequila. Sorry, carry on. No, so we left. We left uh, a day and a half, two days later. We left Alisco and headed back to LA and New York. And Arturo said, "I'll have some variations to send you next week." 
Um, and the one thing we have to understand though, is that those variations aren't a hundred percent pure because the Añejos in American oak barrels for 12 to 18 months, the Reposado for six to eight months and the silver, which is an age. So you also have to take that into account that they're not fully aged. They're not aged maybe the way you wanted them to. So we went on for almost 14 months of tasting every week till we got to a point where we started doing tastings with our friends and blind tastings. It started off just tasting the three variations that he would send. And then it went to the blind tastings where we would take some of those brands that you mentioned and we would put them all in a plain bottle and we didn't know there was a dot on the bottom that the friend was kind of taking care of. And we would all go through that. And when all of a sudden the Villa One uh, versions were always rising to the top of the voting, we knew that we, we could say, Arturo, we're pretty much there. We think we've got something here. Nick and I even did one of those together with a bunch of people. And it was pretty exciting actually to start to see that happen. Um, so then Arturo went through full, um, the silver was finalized, and then he went through the whole full aging process on the, on the um, repo and the uh, Añejo. Amazing. Interesting. And are you, is, I, this is your lineup currently. Are you looking at an extra Añejo, an older version? Are you, what other versions are you looking at? Well, you know, we right now we're we're still in our, you know, we, we launched just prior to COVID. When I say just prior in the month or so prior to COVID. So we 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 did a very nice business in the spirit stores, the liquor stores, but all of the on-premise, the restaurants and bars were shut down for six, eight months or whatever. So we we still are kind of you know rebuilding that part of it. Uh, it hasn't been that long. We are we're in development on some things um, like a Cristalino. We're looking at a Cristalino. We're also looking at an extra añejo that takes a bit longer. Everyone, um, we've been get me. Let's explain that to everybody because an extra añejo, for those of you who don't know, is aged añejo. So it's like it's and it's aged in the barrel, and it's normally around thirty to forty months old, right? That that's correct. Yeah. Yeah, and, correct. The, and the Cristalino is an aged Blanco, essentially, but it's aged in, can you describe how it's well, aged? Well, yeah, it really isn't a blind. It's, it's the process that it's distilled um, that really, um, it doesn't, you're not aging it in oak barrels. So you're not getting the color because when you age in oak, part of the, um, the beautiful amber color and the longer they sit in there, the darker the color is. So you're aging in non-oak um, and it's it's definitely fully aged, uh, like a, the length of a Reposado, but it's clear. Um, so it's crystal clear, which is really kind of unusual. Um, and it was something that I tried when I was in Mexico prior to launching Villa One. Somebody at a, at a hotel I was staying at, when I asked him what his favorite tequila was, the bartender, he said, you should try this one here. He goes, there's a lot of great tequilas up here, but my my favorite right now is this one. And it was a Cristalino and I really loved the crispness of it. Um, it didn't, you know, I love the oakiness of the, um, 
of the repo and the añejo, but it had a different sense than anything else I had ever tasted. So it's something that we're playing around with right now. Um, so yes, you know, we're, we're, we're staying in tequila though at the moment, we're not really branching out from that. And folks, with the Cristalino, you know, if you like the taste, the sort of the smokier kind of taste of uh, an Ejo or a Reposado, it's a, and you want to make a cocktail but not change the color of a cocktail, it's a great opportunity because, because it's clear, you can still keep the, the, the consistency of the color of your, of your drink, which, by the way, is quite important. I know yeah. sometimes people poo-poo it, but it does make a difference, the, the look and feel of a, of a cocktail. But, it, but you still get the flavor. So you do, it's, it is a really nice option. So that's exciting to hear that from you. This week's episode is sponsored by Ransom Spirits. Innovation is a cornerstone of the American ethos, and innovators have always shied away from the impulse to equate tradition with convention. In this spirit, Ransom Spirits Rye Barley Wheat Whiskey is carefully crafted using the finest traditions in distilling. Ransom has taken years of blending experience to diligently craft a rich, complex palette of grain flavors by blending six grain components and aging their whiskey in 60 gallon toasted French oak barrels. Produced at the Ransom Organic Farm and Distillery in Sheridan, Oregon, the finished product is a smooth entry with flavors of Amoroso Sherry and brown butter, while the finish is lush and enduring with sweet honey notes and a polished hint of baking spices. Sounds delicious and smooth, right? Well, Ransom Spirits is giving Shaken and Stirred listeners two different promo codes. Get your holiday shopping started early by visiting shop.ransomspirits.com using code BARKERSHIP for free shipping on two or more bottles or BARKER20 for 20% off and free shipping on six or more bottles. Cheers. Now, I've got a couple of these in front of me. I'm going to pour myself your rep. Should we start with, I'm going to do a little reposado. I want you to talk to me a little bit about the, the color, the, the sort of the flavor profile and what I should be experiencing here. So people, I'm opening a bottle. And by the way, it's a beautiful bottle. It's very heavy. It's a very heavy bottle. It's much heavier than a lot of the guy, bottles that are out there. Is, it, is this, a, I guess you custom made it. It has a big glass base to it. It has a very thick uh, yeah. glass base. Um, tell, tell, tell us about the design of the bottle as I pour a glass. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's something that, you know, early on I started talking to Nick about, you know, bottle shape, kind of authenticity and attention to detail. So the thing about this, this bottle is that it, um, it has this beautiful metal band, which I'm not wearing the ring today, but it came from, oh, I actually have the bracelet on. It came from a bracelet and jewelry that I was working on. And I thought nobody does anything but a cheap ribbon up top. It'd be really beautiful to leave something. So when you do take the top off, or if you have a pour spout in it, you still have something important. The, 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 the cap is very heavy as well. The glass is, uh, is, is dyed through amber. So it's like an amber color. Uh, and then this, um, this hallmark here is something that I found in doing some research in Mexico of a family, old family crest, which was a combination of an agave plant and a fleur-de-lis. 
I was going to say, it, it is a fleur de lis, right? That's how I, when I yeah. looked at it, I thought it's a fleur de lis. And I thought to myself, but it's not a fleur de lis. Yeah, you can see the leaves in base. And we sandblast that into the glass. So you have this etched glass kind of feeling. So when you taste that, first of all, you when you put that to your nose, you can kind of get the aromas of caramel, mm -hmm. a little candy-ish. Um, and it has a, you know, when you, it even has, when you taste it, you get a little butterscotch in it as well. That's right, you do. It's actually, it's, um, it's delicious, by the way. I mean, and it, and it finishes that. with a little bit of, um, uh, you know, chocolate and coffee. And it's, you know, of, of, of the three, it's Nick and my favorite. It's my go-to. I don't know how you've got it there. I see a line, but I drink it on the rocks with a twist, uh, a slice of orange, and that's all I need. And I can every time I drink it, I say to myself, "This is really great." And uh, so, tell me about the slice of orange because so I, I was actually the other day at an event, and it was being hosted by Sincora, which is another um, tequila, um, and they were doing the same thing. They were slice of orange and i understand that the orange is it, it, it sort of speaks to the margarita world doesn't it it speaks yeah. to the you know the triple sec that you might put in a margarita uh which is the orange liqueur folks that that helps really identify a a, a margarita but i guess not lime orange and is that is that for the same reasons well you know what it was it it, it kind of came from you know i have a little lake house upstate new york a couple hours from the city here and i was at a friend's who was making me started we were drinking margaritas one summer one winter i can't remember what time of year it was because we drink them all year round but we started talking about we need to do them skinnier so he would do it with just a splash of orange juice shake it vigorously, maybe a little squeeze of lime in there as well. Um, and we were loving the way it was, the way it tasted. It didn't have a lot of color. You saw a little bit of the orange in it, not near of what this, what this looks like right now because the mango's thick. And then it went to, when, I, when we got, when we developed Villa One, I really wanted to taste the tequila. I really wanted to not cover it with anything. So, could it be a twist of line to finish it sometime, which I like, but I, I did the sliced orange in it. And I felt like it was just enough of that little finish to me that I felt I didn't need all the sugar of a margarita, all the other accoutrements with it. I really, I began as we developed the tequila, I was really zeroed in on more the purity because I knew that I didn't want anybody to feel they had to cover it it's kind of like the story that I don't like tequila that we just heard. Um, and it's really because people sometimes had a bad experience with tequila many years ago. Sure. That's before there were ultra, at least people who were aware there were ultra premium or premium and ultra and extra ultra premium tequilas out there. But also because sometimes the sugar, so much sugar um, is not good for you either. It gives you headaches and that type of thing as well. So, um, you know, it just became really about understanding the base of the tequila and can we sip this, can we sip the silver ourselves and feel like as a shot or just a sip that it doesn't burn because one of the things everybody used to say to me about tequilas is that they burn. And so we talked to Arturo about that and the silver took a long time because of that, because, and that's partially because of the 
the highlands and the lowlands, it really gives it another effect. And I, uh, I would say, take a take a drink. I've got, of I've got your, I've got your silver here in my hand, and again, the bottle, beautiful. And I, I, you know what? It's funny when I first looked at them. The first thing I noted, by the way, was the band around the top, as you just mentioned, the ring um, that is reminiscent of your bracelet you just showed me. It's I beautiful, like and it, and I and I absolutely, it's stunning, and it just, it's very raw, it's very organic looking, and it's, it, it looks as almost like a reed has been wrapped around the top, but it's in metal. It's sort of somewhat reminiscent of those hair bracelets that you may have seen people out there, but it's wrapped across the top, and the top is heavy, feels like it's weighted. Um, Smells very clean. I bought myself a little shot glass of this so I can just have a taste. So this is the the, the silver. Um, so tell me about this then. This is- So when you get the nose on that, you get, uh, you know, like cooked, you can smell the agave, like cooked agave, and you also get a bit of fruit um, with the nose on it. And then as a, the liquid kind of touches your lips there, you get uh, dried fruit and a little bit of nut. And the nut is from the lowlands agave, you really kind of get that sense there. Um, and when it, it kind of finishes off with this caramelized agave sense, but I think you'll see it's quite smooth. When you think about silvers at any price, to have something that you actually could, it don't feel the burn, um, no, pretty special. We don't, we, don't, we, don't must, we don't mask it with any, you know, that's the one thing that, why also because of Nick, we don't mask it with any sugars or any sweeteners, it's just pure from that agave. So I, I don't have any burn at all. In fact, funnily enough, and this is a compliment actually, but um, I one of the things that it reminds me of when I taste like this is really good sake. And what I mean by that is, is that sake too can have a burn if it's done wrong and, and you have to heat it up, do this, do that. Folks, I'm drinking this without ice. It's room temperature and it's, absolutely drinkable this is a this is a just you know villa one tequila the silver warm and it's drinkable and not more than drinkable it's actually delicious which is that's unique that doesn't happen very often half the time you're like oh no it's i'm only going to mix my blanco or my silver or i'm only going to you know put it in a, in a margarita but th this is a, a, absolutely fantastic and a lot of people are this summer i noticed too are mixing their tequilas with things like a spindrift or some sort of sparkling seltzer water that you know in order to create a healthy you know longer drink um and you know a silver is what would work well with it and something like this would be perfect no and it and it, and it kind of harkens back to what i was saying about when we developed this i felt like wow i don't want to mask it i don't want to chill it initially i want to taste it so that at its rawest form what is it how does it feel in your how does it feel? What does it do with your with your palate, and and the and the lack of burn too, which we when we were talking to Arturo about it, we said okay. When we were doing the blind taste testing, we said so all of these tequilas have somewhat of a burn. How are we getting this? And he said, you know, it's the magic of his distilling, but it's also the highland lowland agave, and that's where you get that that, that very clean clean taste with it as well. Curious, very curious. So finally, Anejo. What are we doing here? I'm opening a bottle of the Anejo. It looks slightly ominous. The actual glass is darker. <laughs> yeah, that's like a smoked, smoked charcoal kind of glass. And this is uh, aged in American oak barrels, minimum of 12 months, generally longer, depending on, on the, uh, the plants that we used. 
Um, and you get this dark because it's in the, um, you can hold that up. You can see the dark amber color of that. Mm. That comes from sitting in the, um, in the uh, dark, in the uh, American oak barrels for over 12 months. And then you immediately get the notes of caramel, a little bit of wood and a little bit of vanilla. And the thing about the vanilla, the next thing that happens that Arturo did, which we've never heard in tequila as well, is that I don't know if you know the cookie from a kid or it's still around, but a vanilla wafer. Close. And vanilla wafer, there was also these candies that were called um, circus, can circus candies that were soft and they tasted like banana. He put a little bit of banana in there, banana essence in there. And you get that in your nose. You can smell the banana to the I nose. Can. And it gives a long kind of um, lasting, fresh notes around it that finishes with like dark chocolate and honey. And it's funny because I say all these things because I've had to sit there and think about it as we were going through the process to really understand it deeply because he wasn't just telling us what it was. He was asking us if you no use for me to tell you what's in it. If you don't, if you don't really taste it, if you don't really smell, if that note isn't, if that's not in your palate or if it's not in the aroma, then I'm not doing my job to really. So it's, it's great to be able to tell the story about it and everybody kind of experience. It's like for me in the fragrance world that I, I spent, you know, I have a, a big fragrance business. It's a similar process in that when it hits the air, it's one thing. When it's on the skin with your chemistry of your body, it's something else. And after it dries down, it becomes something else as well. Absolutely. No, clearly. And it's funny, I've, I've actually heard recently rumors of other banana tequilas coming out. I mean, but the whole sort of, you know, banana tequila concept is, is now hot subject in the world of tequila because it is it's as weird as it sounds and it sounds somewhat sort of like caribbean kind of cocktail ish okay. it actually isn't it's very subtle um and 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 lends itself to that delicious vanilla that we we sort of so many of us love in things like the 1942 but it's it oftentimes is too on the nose in some of those other cocktails this is very delicious it's very subtle and it you know it it hits the, it's it hits perfectly actually so well done. and i and i look at añejo in general as more of a sippy tequila it's kind of that and at the end of the night you know cigar smokers like it whiskey drinkers um love are loving tequila today because of where tequila has gone i would say the biggest growth from any other spirit um, have come from whiskey drinkers to tequila because it has the same mentality in terms of aging. And, um, and I think that, again, the perception is one thing for certain people, but the reality, and so the Añejos definitely garner a lot of, a lot of whiskey drinkers as well. Amazing. You know, your tequilas are sensational. Congratulations on, on, on all you. of this. I mean, really amazing that you and listening to you talk about it too. You know, that here you can hear people that this is you know, a man who's, who knows what he's talking about, enjoys what he's doing, and is very well vested. This isn't simply a, a celebrity endorsement, which you know we've we've seen on the Shaken and Third show more than once. You know, you're you you know you have an interesting background, John. I mean, you know, you were brought up, I believe, or you were born or in Detroit which is one of my favorite cities in the world. It's a hard 
knock place Detroit it's still a hard knock place one of the reasons why I love it I love the people over there what when you were a kid what access did you have to these sorts of luxuries and this how did you develop this sort of nose this sort of taste this sort of sensibility that's what I'm wondering I mean I I grew up in Detroit in um seven people in my family five kids in a 800 square foot house with three small bedrooms and one very small bathroom. So there weren't really any luxuries. I shared a little bedroom with two other brothers. Um, We had to fight in the mornings for the bathroom. There weren't long periods that you could spend in it. There was always someone knocking on the door. Um, And Detroit also wasn't a fashion town by any means. It was a a blue collar town, a grit town, a, pr- a pride, you know, it's a the, it's a, a city that was really based a lot, as we all know, in the automobile industry. So very much, uh, you know, a town of what I call, you know, thunder and power and um, supercharged and but really more about the roar of that and um, building those kind of vehicles and not always the finesse. Um, it wasn't really so much about the finesse. It was really about the power in, of those cars and that type of thing. Today, it's a different city. It's much more about the finesse in terms of the automobiles. Um, but to your point, it still has a lot of the grit in, in the city itself. So, yeah, so I grew up in that in, in that world. And I it really, um, I grew up also having to kind of work my way through college, pretty much working full time and going to school and in, in fact, in a, in a retail store, men's store. So in it, I started to at least acquire the taste for better things, attention to detail, you know, quality, that type of thing. Didn't always have the money for the taste, but I had the, the eye for it, I guess. Um, and, you know, later on, I went to school, I got a degree in the sciences in, in, in education. It wasn't about fashion. But during that time, the whole time I was I was working in a men's store and I really kind of fell in love with with fashion. And I also realized from the time I was probably in high school, the early days of high school, that when I wore certain things, girls dug them. And so, I, you know, I started to think a lot about my wardrobe because I wanted to really I wanted to be, you know, girls to dig what I was wearing and, you know, a way to get there, just like musicians, you know, you always hear the stories about musicians want the women, you know, so it was it was a similar thing. And it was probably because I was quite at that point in time in my life, I was always also quite shy. Um, so, um, yeah, that's kind of my initial upbringing upbringing. And it really started to change when I moved to the New York, when I moved to New York and. I took a job with Ralph Lauren. I had been working with Ralph Lauren in the Midwest um, and they moved me to New York to head up sales for the company. And I really fell in love with the whole design process, the whole lifestyle of Ralph Lauren at that time. Not necessarily that it was my lifestyle by any means, but that someone had created a brand that was a bit of a dream and a fantasy for a lot of people. And so it, it really raised my eye to looking at how do you create things that both endure, take, you know, st- take, uh, uh, t- stand the test of time, but also, you know, touch people in a certain way and connect with people to, 
you know, everybody, everybody has a little bit of a fantasy in their life on where they want to be, what they want to do. Um, and so for me, I connected with that ask because I grew up with none of it, really. It's so, it's so fascinating. I mean, certainly a brand like Ralph Lauren, who has obviously stood the test of time, but in many respects, is not exactly is both not fashionable, but fashionable, right? It's sort of, it's more iconic and legendary. And I think, you know, as far as pieces that would be good 20 years ago may actually work today, you know, in in the same way, it's sort of, there's an, and it's, it's, it's obviously hard to be a fashion designer, try and be in fashion, create sort of the newest, coolest stuff at the same time, you know, stay sort of, I guess, you know, create garments that are going to, I guess, last forever and be able to create a brand that people can identify you. You know, if you look at back at Ralph Lauren or even people like Valentino or Calvin Klein too, they're, they're, you know, you can sort of tell their designs. Armani was the same way. You can sort of tell yeah. an Armani suit, you know, back in the day, you can tell it now. And it's somehow you could manage to do that. Was that something you kind of, do you learn that? Is that, is that something that's ingrained in you? How do you produce something like that? You know, I think you have to be a bit of a student of, of whatever you do. And so for fashion, I was a bit of a student. I was also a big sponge. I really wanted to learn everything about every product that I could possibly learn, every category from, you know, a tailored jacket like you're wearing to a pair of boots. I really wanted to know about it. And it became my passion. Um, and, you know, I was also lucky enough to be head of design at both Ralph Lauren and Calvin Klein. I grew into those roles over the years. And they were very, Calvin and Ralph were completely different um, brands, completely. One was about kind of the Kennedys and, you know, you know, this kind of um, luxury type of life that everybody kind of aspired to. And Calvin was about edgy and sex and that type of thing. And when I started my brand in 2000, I knew I couldn't be either one of those because I needed to have my own identity, my own ethos, my own um, DNA. You were sort of and, more rock and roll. Am, am I not correct? I mean, you yeah, said you know, I mean, correct. there's a bit of that aura. So, you know, the you know, I would say the consumer in the industry because of my affiliation with a lot of musicians and the marketing and that. But I mean, your jacket really isn't rock and roll, but it's you know, it's it was there was a there was a but lot of different. So when you look at this jacket, guys, I know you it's a podcast, so I'm going to describe it to you. But there's a sort of like a it's, a, it's a, there's a check to it, but it's also like it every uh, every all over it. It's like it's picked slightly, right? It's so got a it's texture got, to it's it. It's got yeah. a lot of texture to it, and whenever I wear this, and it's actually a suit, right? So whenever I wear the whole piece, people literally ask me, "Where do you get that from? Where do you get that? all the time?" And it's not even new. <laughs> I'm like, you know, that, that's something special when you, you know, you can wear a suit five years later, and people will be like, "Where'd you get that from?" And I'm like, "Well, actually, nice. you know." That's nice to hear. And then, you know, and part of it for what you said very clearly was, you know, it's 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 not easy to do, but, you know, the, the, the most successful brands create their own their own identity, their own DNA. They're not me too. They're not copycats. They kind of create their own identity, DNA. And as I said before, ethos um, and they kind of it doesn't mean it can evolve but they're always true to themselves. They're always true to what their brand set out to be. And when I started my company in 2000, that was very much what I walked away from Ralph Lauren, where I had been head of design at that moment. And prior to that, Calvin, I walked away knowing very clearly that 
I had to stand on my own feet. I had to create my own look and identity, as you said, so that I didn't have to have a big logo on it. People would know, like the texture, whatever, the type of fabrics that we do, the type of detail that we do, the silhouettes that we do, that it had an identity that it was my, it was our brand hand to it. Um, and if I think back 20 plus years that we started that, it's probably the thing that I'm most proud of is that we were able to create that because as I look at the landscape out there, there's not that many brands that do it. And there's very few brands that consistently can continue to do it for long periods of time. Well, you know, obviously you, you mentioned it, the music, I mentioned it too, because that's I, one of the ways that I sort of first got introduced when, you know, various big, you know, people like Lenny Kravitz and what have you would wear a suit of yours, what have you, and obviously Nick Jonas, you partnered with here, and you're sort of in that music world quite heavily. And a lot of fashion designers are in it to some extent, but I sort of see you as sort of synonymous with it almost. What What is your, how, how, how has music influenced you? And how does it, does it influence your designs? How does it play a part? Or is it, you know, in what aspect are you influenced by it in general? Well, it started when I was growing up in Detroit in that very small house, when I had to somehow remove myself from everything that was going on in the house at the moment. And I would put on headphones and the music would transport me someplace else. I was no longer in that little bedroom with my two brothers. I was someplace else. I was in front of the stage of Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd or you know whatever it was at the time. And it always became a kind of an energy source for me as well. I even remember studying for my exams in college and I was always playing right before I went in for my exam before I left my apartment, um, I was always playing music cranked up because it kind of gave me energy. There was something there. And so when I started my brand, it, it wasn't something that was in my thought process. It just was kind of in me and it flowed throughout it. Um, and early on, we started being discovered by a lot of music artists who would want to meet up with me to you know, wear the clothes to know more about it. Um, and then they would also find out about my kind of crazy affinity and passion for music. Um, and that became a big part of the connection with a lot of these people because it wasn't some designer that was posing with using some music artists to promote their brand. They, they always considered it, you know, when somebody told me, one of the most famous music artists out there told me, you're one of us one time when I was sitting with them, I thought it was any other award I ever won, whatever, they didn't mean anything. Jimmy Page saying to me that you're one of us meant to me like everything in the oh. world, you know? So- um, I'm a big yeah. Led Zeppelin fan as well, by the way. I've got I've got a you know, huge portrait of the band down in my, in my kitchen. This was my 40th birthday gift for my wife. And yeah, Very I can nice. only imagine that must've been a moment. Yeah, so I think that it really became part of my, like in my in my bloodstream, and it was, you know, you know, the bit of the edge, you know, the way to think outside of the box a little bit. Um, but also, like I said, the energy force, there's something about it for me that the people that I that, that I work with, some love it, some probably don't, but I can't not have music playing here in the studio. I, I come in in the morning, I'm usually the first one and I turn the music on. Uh, you know, it, I can't even when I'm working alone, I have to have it. It's something that, that just propels me. 
I understand. I completely understand. I pretty much the same way. It's you know, as soon as I wake up in the morning and I, you set the you set the tone with the music, right? It, exactly. it can be exactly. different days, different moments, different things you're doing. No, hundred percent. And tequila. I mean, having a, a, a fantastic tequila with a you know with great music is going to really set the moment. Um, look, it's been so fabulous to have you on, John, and and to talk about your tequila, to talk about your career a little bit. Um, we have something called last orders on this show which is a sort of a, a little quick rapid fire moment where we just get to know you a little bit better which is very simple and fast we'd love to wrap this up with with that um tom would you like to do the honors i'd love to i'm sorry i stayed so quiet it's a bit like literally if you if you had a conversation with somebody about oysters and i you know you know when you've been had a bad oyster and you said it <laughs> you said it in the, you said it halfway through that Halfway through the, 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 the conversation, he said, you know, some people just have got this thing about tequila because they had a really bad time on it when they didn't even know that decent tequila existed. I am one of those, I'm, I'm one of those people who, I love clams, I can't eat them. I, I still love oysters, I haven't had a bad one yet, touch wood, I don't. Tequila is that thing, it's that terrible, terrible thing, yeah. you know, that moment in my youth when I just, it, it was, it's, you know, I'm sure it's, I, you know, I'm, it's, it's Tom, just we have those... to get you next time you're in the US, once this travel craziness is over and we can get you over here. I'm going to call John and we're going to go out with Nick and uh, maybe we'll go I'm to her Priyanka's restaurant. We'll break, we'll break your phobia. <laughs> break, break it. Phobia. Seriously, it is it's probably, I would imagine 90% of it by now, I mean, 30 years later, 90% of it has got to be kind of psychosomatic, right? I mean, I probably, yeah. Okay, I'll hold you to that. I'm I'm on. I'm always I'm always on. For, if, if I don't like something like food wise or something, I always make a point of trying it once once a year, just to make sure that something hasn't changed. Other than with things like so two things like kind of clams and tequila. Anyway, um, so I'm sorry I've been so quiet and I haven't been as enthusiastic as you. But I mean, you know, it's, it's been interesting hearing. It's been an interesting, you know, um, it's been educational, should I say. Can I ask you some quick five questions? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Any way, shape, or form, substance or style? Style. Didn't even need to say which one comes first. Okay. Um, to, now, this is taking off, off your chat earlier. Staying, I mean, to life as it should be or life as it could be? Uh, to life as it should be. What does that mean, John? I think I think we all have something in our mind about what you know, whether you're on an island someplace or like I said, you're with your family and friends or it's a romantic situation, whatever it is. I think it's um, to life for you. It's a personal thing. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely like to life as it could be because I think they're quite similar in a way. But I think, you know, I think we all kind of look at our lives, no matter how good they are on where you where you'd want to be right now or who you'd want to be with right now yeah life, life, life as you'd love to life as you'd want it to be no life <laughs> life is life as it should be is a current thing that said i mean i kind of pulled that off from your friend um nick as he obviously said in the moment so i would imagine that, that we can interpret that as as you're living in the moment not as right. opposed to living in the future which obviously which obviously um which actually weirdly goes to my next question, which I think you've already answered. Staying current or staying true? Staying true. What does that mean? What is the, what is this, why not current? 
I think, you know, I think you can be both. I think, uh, you know, I think if you're worried about being current, you're thinking too hard about, about whatever it is. And I think if you're being true, you're always going to be who you are. And it's like your style question or substance. For me, style is the way you carry yourself. It isn't necessarily about your clothes. It's how you walk into a room. It's how you carry yourself. It's how people remember you. Um, and so I look at, you know, this as the same as the same way. I will use that quote when I talk to my son later on today. When I have dinner with him, I'll be like, you know, it's about how you walk into the room. It's not about what you wear. He's obsessed with fashion, by the way. So it's, uh, it's a chip off the old block. But anyway, go ahead. Um, this is a bit, this is an unusual one, but and, and it's like it could be interpreted as being slightly morbid, but it's not supposed to be. Um, epitaph, what would you like? And this is, by the way, you really don't have to answer this because it's a sort of it could be seen as an absurdly intrusive question, but do you have any idea what your epitaph, you would like your epitaph to be? You know, I never really thought about it, um, but it would have to do something with passion. You know, I think, um, you know, live, live life with passion. You know, I think if I had to make up something right now, I've honestly never thought about it, but I definitely think the word passion for me is something that I kind of live by. Great. Really? Amazing. You, maybe you just have Villa One. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I'm living in Villa One under the ground for the rest of the time. I love it. I like it. I've never, well, I've never, um, there's never been a question I've, I've put on, I've, I've asked on the show, so, and I think that that was an incredibly, I think that was brilliant, a very revealing answer. Um, to to um, which some very kind of like sum, sum someone up. I think it was that brilliant, brilliant way of doing it. Um, the last question is 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 the one we ask everybody: shaken or stirred? Stirred. I like to shake shit up, as they would say. So you know, if you're not stirring it up, it's not going to be exciting. And there you have it, everybody. John Varvatos, congratulations. Villa One Tequila, check it out. The Reposado, they've got a silver, they've got an Anejo, they're all unique. I want to say my favorite is the Reposado. Um, I think it's incredibly drinkable. They're all fantastic. I'm going to have to try them mixed in different ways. But why not try a spicy mango margarita that John made? He, he, so you'll, the recipe, we'll publish the recipe on our Instagram at Shaken and Stirred Show. But um, where can people buy Villa One right now? What's the easiest way for them to get it? Well, you can buy it online in a multiple. If you search Villa One, there's a lot of online uh, retailers. Some, you know, only distribute to some states. Um, and, you know, we're in thousands of uh, retailers and beautiful restaurants and bars around the country so it's ask for villa one out there if they don't have it they should have it and if they don't have it just you know tell them to call nick jonas and get him on <laughs> exactly, the exactly. Needs to do some work here um look john's out here pushing this product nick if you hear me i'm going to speak to your brother kevin and joe and we're going to get you on to talk about this too maybe we'll get john back for that little special moment what a pleasure oh. Good luck with everything, and uh, hopefully, well, we'll be able to rendezvous in New York City at some time in the future. And I yeah, hope we can so. Yeah, have a drink then. And try no. some tequila again. This has been fun. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely, Thanks. all the best. Tom, I got to see you sometime soon with some tequila. Yeah, yeah. we're gonna do that. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm up. I'm up for it. Let's try it. Okay. All the best, guys. 
Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken and Stirred. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya.